And we are live. We're live. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation Podcast, Cast Kreitlow, Podcast 105. Wish I threw that hard. I can't wait till I can not say that anymore. Uh, but anyway, uh, don't forget to crush the like button, smash, subscribe, do everything. It's uh, This podcast available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, everywhere on your major podcasting network, as well as the video here on YouTube and will be available on Facebook. So without further ado, I'm real excited about today's guest. Mike, I don't even didn't even ask you how to say your last name. I'm going to try it. So help me out here. Stone? Yeah, that works. Son is son. So it's like Jan with an S. Yeah. Jan with an S. Yeah. Yeah. Just confuse the crap out of me. Anyway, (laughs) um, so you are with, uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, Pitch AI. Is that the company? Uh, Our company is ProPlay AI, and our first product coming out is uh, Pitch AI. Pitch AI. Okay, cool. So ProPlay AI, first product, Pitch AI. And you guys may have seen this on social media. It's the biomechanics on the phone, which is just blowing me away. Um, and I can't wait to get a further, uh, you know, in-depth look at, at how this is going to work. So, Mike, I appreciate it. Um, once you start off by introducing yourself, let everybody know where you're at um, and, and, and kind of your story lead up to it. And, you know, this is a long form thing. So, don't, you know, don't hold your breath. Go for it. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, I, as mentioned, I'm Mike Son. I'm the chief scientist for ProPlay AI. And uh, our kind of mandate is to try and bring biomechanics data to people in all sports, all activities um, for, you know, multiple applications. And my background is in biomechanics. I did my, uh, my PhD in biomechanics at McMaster University uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, uh, which is where I live now. Um, and that's just about 45 minutes outside of, of Toronto, um, so big, big Blue Jays territory uh, up here. So this all kind of came together um, really quickly over the last uh, year or so. Um, I had been you know, working primarily in the ergonomics space uh, and using markerless motion capture to evaluate risk in uh, different you know, workplaces. Uh, but kind of prior to that, um, I had been doing quite a bit of baseball writing, more on like workload management side of things, but really applying the concepts of ergonomics to understanding performance and, and risk in pitching. And the way that we did that was basically looking at like three different aspects. It's like force, which is your velocity and you know how what percentage of your maximum you're throwing at. Uh, there's a workload or a repetition component. And some of the research I did was developing a metric called fatigue units. And that's pretty widely used in in Major League Baseball. But instead of pitch counts or innings pitched, it kind of takes innings pitch, pitch counts, your velocity. Um, It takes uh, your days of rest and puts it into one workload metric. So we had those two things pretty easily. But the hardest thing to ever capture are mechanics. And capturing those like objectively can be very, very uh, demanding. And through my research at Brock University with uh, one of our graduate students, Richard Burfer, who's now with the Texas Rangers, we tried to come up with a way of evaluating mechanics consistently at like the moment of front foot strike. And after lots of testing and, and lots of trials, we found, you know, basically people were getting the answer right 50% of the time. So, you know, it was a coin toss as to whether or not people were getting the right answers when kind of subjectively analyzing mechanics. So, you know, fast forward a year or so after that, and we're kind of experimenting with this technology on the ergonomic side. And, you know, at a men's league game one night, filmed somebody throwing and said, hmm, this might be the way that we do this. So since then, we've kind of been picking away at it, but we um, we take single frame video or single camera video, uh, open side for pitchers. We record at you know, 240 frames per second or 120 frames per second, whatever your your phone's slow motion setting is. Uh, and then we feed it through some computer vision models. And at the end of the day, come out with, uh, with a biomechanics report that looks pretty comparable, you know, roughly within 10% of uh, what you see with, um, with a, a full marker-based system. So we just keep trying to get more and more accurate um, using less and less technology uh, to the point where we can get really good data that, you know, coaches like yourselves can, can use it in your, your day-to-day training. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited can, can to you, get my hands on that. Can you talk more about your unit that you 
Um, yeah, that was really interesting. The fatigue unit stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of so my first thing context, I did. So just for context, just for context, we've had Arnel Aguinaldo on the show. Yep. Are you familiar? Okay. So, yep. so we, and then my friend Weston Germain is big into the modus leave. Um, yep. So I'm very familiar with um, their metrics, uh, but I'm not off the top of my head. But anyway, I've, I've heard this stuff. So go in it, please. So fatigue units started actually. Um, my PhD thesis was on predicting the amount of muscle fatigue somebody would have at any time. So, you know, how much force generating capacity do your muscles lose at, at any moment, given whatever exercise you did before. And I was kind of starting to get into this baseball space right around when Major League Baseball announced that they were going to be putting in a pitch clock. And I said, well, you know, if you're in the gym, right, and you're doing bicep curls like Cass is doing every other day, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, yeah, back away from the camera so you can show the pipes a little bit more there. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, you know, he's if, <laughs> oh, if, if you only knew. <laughs> Sorry, every day. Um, if if you do a rep of an exercise and then you take 30 seconds off and, and do it again, if you compare that against if you only had 20 seconds of rest, you're going to be able to do less reps the second time. If you have less recovery time, you typically have more fatigue if you did the same exercise before. So we, kind of relying on that concept, uh, we published a paper in the Journal of Sports Sciences that showed that if a pitch clock was going to be implemented, we were going to see elevated levels of fatigue in baseball pitchers. And, you know, from Dr. Glenn Fleissig's work, you know, that's probably one of the most, um, the most prevalent risk factors when it comes to Tommy John surgery is when pitchers pitch while fatigued. So this was kind of our starting point. We basically said, you know, if you give us the number of pitches, the amount of average rest time between pitches and, you know, your days of rest, we can predict kind of accumulatively how much fatigue has happened in that pitcher. So what kind of caught everybody's attention when we were putting out our workload metrics with fatigue units, and this was like one of my first non-academic things that went kind of big, um, and it was cool because we called it fatigue units, so you could call it FUs um, is, is the short form. <laughs> So, you know, break the academia barriers even even harder there. So so FUs, um, you know, looking at the FU leaderboards, <laughs> uh, what we were seeing was, you know, it was mostly relievers at the top of the, the list with, you know, a few starters kind of sprinkled in. But, you know, typically in your top 10, you'd see eight relievers, two starters. And those two starters would be like, you know, Verlander and his, uh, you know, his big seasons. And, you know, he's getting a bunch of complete games and and, and throwing deep into games. But if you look at the numbers, uh, when it comes to like prevalence rates of, of injuries, you know, relief pitchers get hurt like three to eight times more frequently than you see starting pitchers get hurt. And part of that is they're throwing closer to their max every single time they go out there. Um, they're throwing on, you know, schedules that completely change. You never know which, what day you're going to throw and, you know, the amount of times that they get up and don't go into the game or uh, you know, that happens a lot too. So there's a lot of unaccounted workload, but then there's a lot of kind of like workload that comes as a result of the nature of their job, you know, pitching three days in a row, um, you know, coming in in high leverage situations that, you know, a starter doesn't get a lot of um, pitching. You know, you, if you look at some of like Eno Saris's work where he's showing like the percentage of maximum pitchers are throwing at now compared to, 10 years ago, everybody's throwing like really close to their maximum. So a lot of those things we just factored into the fatigue unit metric. And yeah, that um, we found about, I think it was close to, if you were in like the 90th percentile of fatigue units compared to the 90th percentile of innings pitched, you were like three to six times more likely to have a, a Tommy John surgery in either the next year or the year after. So it's definitely a more physiological representation of workload. And some of that initial modeling was actually in the modus, uh, the newest modus app. Um, they do have fatigue units uh, being kind of graphed out and, and tracked in the modus app. That's super interesting. Um, it, it's, uh, I seem to be the weird one of this group that continues to throw um, at 34 years old and continue to push my body. Um, recently of last week, I threw 105 pitches on Wednesday and then came back and threw 80 something on Friday. Um, 
I think that has a lot to do with what I'm doing throwing wise. We talk about it a lot inside of our uh, inside of our place right there at Cutter Nation. And uh, is, is there any correlations to follow through that you see as far as fatigue units going up or down? So in that case, that would be a very extreme example of um, like a fatigue unit accumulation, simply because, you know, you wouldn't often see like a starter <laughs> go, you know, two days later or something of that nature. That would be a high fatigue unit situation for sure. Um, the kind of lesson that we've learned when tracking fatigue units over the years is your kind of prototypical use of a reliever nowadays has been something like you saw in Milwaukee with like Josh Hader. And he was, you know, top 10 for relievers in number of innings pitched, but he was like middle of the pack for fatigue units because it was very rare that he did three days in a row. Um, it was very rare that he was, um, you know, being left in for three innings at a time. Um, that kind of consistency in workload. And I think you'll see this with a lot of the workload guys, like it's that variability in workload and those spikes in workload that are more dangerous than necessarily like your peak workload. And if you're out there throwing like all the time, you know, and you've built up to that level of throwing, that's a mm -hmm. lot of like Weston would say, or, you know, Casey Mulholland would say, those are a lot of the um, things that you want to try and account for is just reducing those acute spikes in workload as much as you can at the same time, building up your chronic workload. Uh, and that's definitely some of the underlying principles in fatigue units as well. Yeah. It's super interesting because I haven't stopped throwing in like 10 plus years and I don't plan on it, you know, Keep it going, yeah. Keep letting it eat. For sure. Right. I'm thinking like of uh, no, I'm just thinking a lot of things along the lines of like the theory behind this stuff and like, you know, I, just going back to can can you can you give us a better understanding of like when you said 10%, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that that certainty level, could you give us some some insight into marker versus motion, uh, motion. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yep. I'm doing a bad job, but you know exactly what I'm asking. Just go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to analyzing like your biomechanics, right? Um, the traditional way to evaluate mechanics and to measure kinematics or kinetics is through a marker based optical motion capture system. And most people have seen it whenever you see like a video game being made. So, you know, EA sports has somebody in there in their lab and they're animating a character and you see all these little kind of like white reflective markers all over the person's body. What's happening there is those markers are being picked up by infrared cameras that would be put up kind of all over the, um, all over a lab. And it triangulates the position of each of those markers and it will tell you exactly where it is in space. And then because of that, you can get a very, very accurate, like sub millimeter level of accuracy of, of where something is in space. So that's kind of your gold standard for measurement of, of kinematics. The problem with those um, kind of systems is that you typically have to throw um, in your underwear because you need to glue these things directly to your skin. Um, yeah. You know, it's gotta be a colder environment because you don't want the person sweating and having these markers fly off. And, you know, because of those things, you know, you're typically not the most comfortable while you're throwing. So while you're getting really accurate measurements, you might not be getting the most accurate picture of how a person actually throws in like a game situation. So in recent years, you know, some of the most exciting technology has been like your Simi systems or your Kinetrax systems, because there are a series of cameras that are in major league stadiums and they don't use markers. So they're a complete markerless system that will measure every pitch in every major league game. So you're actually getting accurate biomechanics information off of these pitchers in game situations, you know, you can get different contexts. You can say, you know, as the person's mechanics change when they're, they're, uh, they've got runners on base, do they change later in the game? Are they fatiguing because you're seeing those changes? The challenge on that front is that, you know, you need this very expensive system. Um, you need some expertise in interpreting biomechanics data. Um, and you can't really get it if you're like on a backfield or, you know, you've got like youth players or something like that. It's just not really feasible. So the kind of transition in the uh, the motion capture space has been how do we limit the amount of technology required 
and reduce the barriers to having people be able to capture motion capture data. And that's been a real kind of surge in uh, in numerous spaces, primarily in the research world with like your open pose systems or open CV. Um, you know, the partner we work with is Wrench AI out of Montreal. They're doing a lot of great computer vision work and we kind of base our models around what they do. Um, and, you know, you're seeing a lot more of this, this coming up, you know, Apple's new iOS 14, it uses the LiDAR camera in there so that it can do some, some motion capture, um, you know, animating robots and turning you into, you know, different monsters or whatever it might be. And that's all calculating joint centers and, and getting you a measure of kinematics there. So what we did to kind of evaluate our system compared to a marker-based system is we recorded video of pitchers throwing uh, and we did that with like our partners driveline, um, you know, when they were, they were having some guys throw in their, their marker based, uh, lab. And we got the video at the exact same time. So because we had the marker video or the marker data, and we had the video data at the exact same time, we could say how accurate was this system. So what we did is we, you know, recorded like close to hundred pitches, uh, markered and markerless, uh, created our model with about 70% of that data and then tested it on the remaining 30%. And what we found is that, you know, for the throwing arm, for your trunk, for your legs, you know, we're like 95% as accurate. Um, so only about 5% error compared to the marker-based system. Where the higher errors come are on like your glove side. And that's because we're said, we're sticking with this one camera, but as the person's glove arm pulls behind them, it gets obscured and we start to have to guess at where it is in space. But you know, if you're looking at just the throwing arm, you're looking at your, your hip to shoulder separation, your, your lead leg, your trail leg, those things are very accurate. So, and, it, and to me, this is where, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, this is this is to me where right there is the seam of theory and 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 the objective side of it. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of people are undervaluing the subjectivity that's going on in baseball, right? Because it's a good thing. We're mm -hmm. recognizing that we're human beings. Yeah. And that when we be when we're when we be too objective, when we're too objective, <laughs> I don't know what that I don't know what version of my personality that was that just came out <laughs> there, but that's funny. Um, right. And, and that's where I think, I don't know that we need to be so accurate because what's accurate and you already mm -hmm. brought this to light is that I have seen this and I'm not talking down on the, the way that markered things are. It's just the nature of it. Like you already said, yep. there are some roadblocks to doing it better because you just can't. Right. Yep, and exactly. if something goes wrong, now we're waiting. And that's not how yep. baseball works. And that's not how throwing works. Right. It's like, you got to be hot and you got to keep it oiled and loose. Right. Exactly. And so, so it's actually not that necessary to be millimeter accurate because no. you just need somebody fairly competent on this side. And so yep. what I'm seeing is that, you know, the certifications that that's the, that's the thing, right? Like that's yep. the, that's, that's the industry like screaming for like, we need somebody to create a standard. Right. And I'm curious mm -hmm. with somebody at your um, level of intelligence and pedigree, like what is your thought on that? Can you see that from your side of the field? Yeah. And one of the things that we've really, well, personally, even myself, I've been very vocal about with pitch AI is providing data and providing it in context, but not being absolute because biomechanics is not as absolute as a lot of people would want you to believe. And there's lots of Twitter gurus out there that are going to say, if you get into this position, you're going to get hurt, you know, inverted W's or that's bad. If you look at the actual biomechanics data and you look at like which kinem like which positions the body gets into and how it relates to stress at front foot strike or whatever it may be, those relationships are not as strong as people would like you to believe. Like it is not that cut and dry, but what is important is trying to kind of think of what the coach is doing and then trying to give them some numbers to support their decisions so that you can have more novice coaches make similar decisions to what more expert coaches would get. And, you know, what we kind of find over the years is all, all the time there's these old, like you know, these old tales of, of people coming up with these anecdotes and that, more often than not, they get proven right <laughs> in the data, right? Um, but when it comes to like biomechanics data, there is a lot of value in like test retest. And I think that's where the most important 
use of this type of application is. It's not necessarily going and filming somebody once and being like, oh, they're positions they're getting into, they're gonna get hurt or you know, they're never gonna throw hard. It's more important to say, okay, you know, we're seeing that their lead leg flexions increasing over time in the game. And we know that's something that's associated with more fatigue because they're not able to use their lower half as efficiently. Um, you know, and what we found in our research is that kinematic changes, those changes to your mechanics, they happen long before um, somebody starts losing velocity. So if you're noticing somebody's got a velocity loss in game, chances are they've already changed their mechanics and that could be causing them injury. But, you know, the way we view pitch AI is we're a tool in the coach's toolbox and the art of coaching is just going to use that as another one of their paintbrushes, right? You know, the same way they would use a, uh, a radar gun, the same way that they would use uh, a modus sleeve. It's another tool for you to help make decisions and, and really work on the execution and the bringing together of all that data, that's the art of coaching that I think is is really hard to ever replicate when it comes to, you know, a super objective process. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, uh, one more you, thing, one more thing, and then I'll step ahead. back, John. Sorry, because so in Canada, I've heard this. I think Greg Rose told me this, that is there something, because I've said this so many times on the podcast, there's something that like you have to have some degree of like a, like a first aid kind of class for youth sports in Canada. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know um like there's basically like coaching certifications in Canada. Yes. And a big part of those like CM or, or was it 3M? I think 3M did all of them. It wasn't CCM. 3M did the coaching certifications and a big part of that is understanding like health for sure. Yeah, and there's a first aid component too. Okay, and I didn't mean literally, but but it was just like when you, when you go to a little league's um, you know first session, it's like, hey, parents, don't be mean, and like oh, let's all play nice, and here we go, and it's, yeah. it, it it should be much, it should be actually quite more comprehensive than that, and it's not too hard to do that, and yeah. um, that that's those are the kinds of things, and I when I'm talking about authority, I, I'm I'm just. I'm personally yearning for something to be uh, worth chasing, you know, and I know yeah. that people like driveline have done a good job and there's, there's stuff like that, but there's just something bigger like major league baseball, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, Sorry I think the biggest, off, no, the biggest thing there, like what you're saying, like that I, like I really respect about driveline's process is just the idea of measuring things because I think you can be subjective. I think you can rely on intuition but it's always good to just have things that you record, you know, write things down, put your numbers in a spreadsheet, track them over time. You can learn so much about, you know, if what you're doing is working, right? If you're using something like pitch AI to evaluate mechanics and you're using a certain drill to try and correct something, you know, measure the person, have them do their drill and then track the changes over time. It just, you know, it's a lot better than just kind of, you know, saying, oh yeah, this is the drill to use. You have to use this drill and it's going to work every time. Like that, that's no, not the way the body works. Right. Totally. All right. Well, I, I want to get into the app and I want to try something that we've not, never done on the podcast here. And, and I'm going to try to screen share and, and show everybody at home uh, what the uh, off your website, the video we have for uh, sure. from there. So let me try this real quick and see if we can do this. Technology always works best when you try it for the first time while recording. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Can you guys see this right here? We can. All right, cool. So um, correct me if I'm wrong. Who do, who do we have here on um, – this is the big giant guy from Toronto, of course. Yeah. Is, right? So um, so that's Nate Pearson, and Nate's actually one of yeah. the co-founders of ProPlay AI. So Nate has been absolutely huge for us in terms of you know better understanding the athlete's perspective as we start developing. Right, and so it, it, it draws this frame on the guy, right? Um, yep. Does it give any measurements, uh, any data numbers-wise of all these things as it goes through too? Absolutely, and you know, if you wanna get really crazy here, we could even try and let me have a screen share and I can even show you one of Nate's reports. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, Mike. <laughs> Hang on, We're, we can do this. Oh my God, we're double in the sharing here. <laughs> uh, we can I, do I'm that. pretty sure I can do this. If you bring that up on yours, I'm pretty sure I can isolate you there. Okay. So we got a screen being shared right now. Oh, yep. look at that. Look at that. Look at this, people. That's working. This, we're going nuts here. Is that, yep. Yeah. There we go. Out. 
I have the same background as you do, so I, almost, I wasn't sure okay. if we were doing it. We're just boring people. We don't use the, we're not using uh, anything <laughs> other than the exact uh, one from, from Apple. So, you yeah. know, we've got a video of Nate here throwing. And down here, we get a bunch of numbers. So very like, you know, very, very um, detailed. We get a lot of actual like joint angles if we want those. So you can actually get oh, yeah. the joint angles specifically. But this summary tab here is going to kind of show you some, some highlights. So this 100% number here, basically saying in his kinematic sequence, which we see under this tab, we're seeing that his pelvis fires, then his trunk fires, then his elbow extends, and then he gets that internal rotation. So we're seeing those things happen in the order we would expect for them to happen. So that's where that 100% number comes in there. And like I was saying, you can see some of these, see these graphics, but that's like the most like kind of detailed type thing. We also have some stuff like arm path. So this arm path number, instead of saying it's like short arm action or long arm action, this is in units of his body height, uh, how far does the wrist travel in 3D space between front foot strike and ball release? So this is saying, you know, and compared to our database, we have of about a thousand pitchers now, you know, he's got a little bit of a longer arm path there. Um, you know, and part of that's just the fact that he's just such a big guy, right? Like he's just such a huge person. Um, some of the other numbers we've gotten here, um, arm speed. Arm speed is literally what is the peak uh, velocity that your hand achieves in the direction of home plate. And all of these kind of um, these screens here, we show you the number here, but then that bar graph along the bottom, that's basically showing like, where do you stack up compared to the rest of the population that we have there? Is there anything below that? Like uh, the, the light blue focus, oh, that is the bar graph you're talking about. That's the bar graph down there. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So, and we've got elbow torque in that as well, but you know, kind of the way that I have always um, found the easiest way to communicate biomechanics is through comparison. So, you know, we've got Nate there and, you know, Nate's a, a big leaguer with first round pedigree and, you know, throws 104 <laughs> miles an hour, but we make it pretty easy for you to be able to, to go in and actually start comparing against other people. If this shows up for me. We had, so we had you pull, one podcast too late. Should have had you at 104. Nate Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, the Nate number. <laughs> yeah. So if I pull up, you know, Nate's report here, and then I compare him against, you know, somebody near and dear to my heart, really kind of one of the inspirations for me to Jimmy. actually get into to <laughs> baseball biomechanics. favorite player. It's the oh, weirdest thing ever. Minnesota Your mom's got lady. great taste. All right. Big time Timmy Jim. That's one of the best. <laughs> oh my God, this I is amazing. So like if we start looking at some of these things, like, you know, let's look at, um, let's look at stride life here. This is a great example, right? So those those kind of action figures up at the top, I can drag this cursor and you can really see like the difference in how those two guys throw, right? Like two hard throwers, but they really move quite a bit differently. Like look how close like Lincecum is to the plate there at that stage. But one of the things that, you know, Tim did that was just so unheard of was just his stride length was so long. And you can see Nate's kind of right around average with respect to his height. And that's in units of, you know, percentage of your total height. Um, but the red line there is showing, you know, Lincecum's stride length was just so much longer when it comes down to, you know, units of his height. What about so stride point, speed? What's that? Stride speed. Stride speed, that's not one that we have in there. We do have like, you know, if we get into some of these numbers up here, like that'd be you know, that'd be really easy to do because that would show you how long they're striding. Yeah. You could take video of it and like coaches eye has a timer in it. You could yep. you that's an easy metric you could create, John. That's something that we we're interested in is like stride Absolutely. speed and then hand speed to release from the bottom of what we call the gun. So yeah. like there's a no. stuff that we talk about with throwing. And, and kind of this is the type of thing, you know, when we're talking about where we want to factor this into the whole development, these are the metrics we've kind of pulled out now. But a lot of times, like, they're just little things that, like, we've never had access to these data before on uh, mass like this. So these types of ideas are huge. You know, we absolutely want to include these as we go um, in the system. And, and those are great ideas.
to keep including in there. Yeah, there's, there's a thing we, we talk about um, with the follow through that we feel like is very important where like the arm shouldn't hit the body. You should give the hand and the arm the most amount of follow through distance um, and things like that. And I feel like this app is something that we could actually quantify those things, especially with like, you know, most kids don't know what max effort is with like yep. location, right? And so Ooh. if you have a video of it, with you know you can see it and you can overlay this i wish i had the video uh i have one video of me throwing 96 that's it yeah and i was yeah i wasn't even in america i was in panama and it was like <laughs> over the shoulder video from the stadium yeah. at ron cruz stadium and stuff and like you can barely it's just too far away for you really to get a lot out of it and the, you know the video quality is 30 frames per second on the internet and dad recorded yeah. it you know screen recorded it back in 2016, 17, something like that. You know? So that no. idea is interesting. Well, that, that's an interesting like use case of, of this software. So uh, I had done a bit of work with, with a major league team who had somebody returning from Tommy John surgery. And they were saying like, you know, he, he was struggling in games because it just seemed like he was not ready, uh, you know, mechanically to throw in game, even though all of his rehab numbers and his timelines were saying, you know, it was okay for him to get back there. And we were able to get video from simulated games and we were able to get video from bullpens and then his actual in game. And what we saw was he just was not throwing at a hundred percent effort in his bullpens or in his sim games. So, you know, Here. his body <laughs> just hadn't got it up ramped up enough. Right. Like, um, before being ready for a game competition. So, you know, those are, those are good examples and good use cases. And you know, what you guys are describing there, those are, those are great metrics and great ideas uh, for the future. I, I, yeah. I have, I have an idea. This is because I, I hadn't thought of this and John and I have had this conversation many times. So imagine you take somebody's wingspan and then just yep. project the farthest distance away from them in an ellipse. Yep. Right, and you could work backwards from that. Of like, yep. do you ever get in that, and in what way do you get in that kind of thing? Um, yeah. And I feel like that's something that would be like uh, visually something that you could gather over time, because what he's what he's essentially saying is like, <clears throat> there is there is enough theory to know. You already alluded to it: short arm versus long arm. We don't even know what that means. Literally, nobody can agree on what yeah. that means. So like how you describe arm path, like th like that's that's an interesting way to think about it, right? But like there's nobody's going to agree on that conversation, right? And yeah. so I feel like that would be an easier way to tap into that is I, I can't think of a way to work outward from it because everybody's trying to and they and they can't. Does that make sense? Yep. No, it, it makes perfect sense. And I mean, even going back to like the fatigue units and I came up with another metric for stuff, you know, like you know, how, how good is somebody's stuff? All of these things are just trying to put a number to things that have been subjectively said, you know, time and time again. Um, and all of them are just, like I was saying, like, let's include these in the art of coaching, but let's just add this additional toolkit to it. I haven't thought about it like that, that, you know, coaches should be encouraged to try to create the language. Um, yeah. Well, you know, a, a big thing we see, you know, more on the, I'd even say on like the ergonomic side of things. And this is more just with any kind of technical profession. And I think coaching should be included in this as well. When you have somebody who's junior, they have some really great ideas, but a lot of times they're <laughs> confounded by the process, but they're not tainted by, um, you know, all their years of, of, uh, of, of mis not a misinformation, but just, you know, it has to be done this way. And I think the more that you can get individuals uh, in a position where they don't have to worry about kind of the management of getting into a space or they don't have to manage like all the different uh, nuances of just the mechanics of coaching, like give them the tools they need so that they can do the things they do best. You know, if you've played for years and and you know what it's like to get in a game in a situation where maybe you feel like you don't have your best stuff, like how do you get over that? You know, that's the stuff you need to be communicating to your athletes. But a lot of times I think we get stuck in the nuance of stuff and, you know, thinking you have to do things in a certain way. But the more that we can automate a lot of those nuanced things or a lot of those procedural things, the more we allow coaches to focus on the things that you can't replicate with technology. And I think that's where a lot of the really important stuff comes in. 
Yeah, the closer it gets, closer it gets to self-automation where you can plug it in and and walk away, and it simulates you know basically everything that you need. Yeah. You know it, and 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 the fact that MLB doesn't do it for everything because we know there's capabilities. It's you know. Yeah. Well, just on that topic of you know analytics, right? Like everybody, you know, there's there's very strong camps in both sides of, you know, for and against analytics. The thing is that analytics become less and less useful as everybody starts to have the same numbers, right? Like if everybody has the same numbers, then nobody has a differentiator. So you know what they're going to start turning back to, right? Coaches. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going. It's going to go back to coaches. It's going to go back to, you know, those call them soft skills, but it's going to come down to those things that rely on your intuition. You know, analytics is the thing that, you know, causes you to pull Blake Snell in the world series, maybe before he's ready. But it's like, when do you rely on, because you say 95% of the time he's going to get in trouble. It's when do you rely on that 5%? That's, that's what's going to start to become more and more important. And that's what we want to get coaches earlier in their career into that 5% um, by giving them everything they need in that 95%. Yeah, love it. But it's it's uh the answer is when he struck out the three best hitters all <laughs> three times they faced, and you just let it happen and you live or die by your horse. That's what happens. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's a Cy Young um, winner. <laughs> he probably should right, be given right. a bit more rope. <laughs> Man, but hey. I mean, that's the game though. That's what's uh you know the the game is is being infiltrated by technology and computers and. There are a lot of people that have a lot of good things to say about it, and you can see where it works, and you can see where it doesn't, and that's what that's what I think makes this game, you know, the greatest game in the world. Because you know, yeah. the Yankees spend more money than God in baseball, and they haven't won a World Series in what, like, twelve years, 13, 14 years, something like that. It's great. I don't even remember when it was last one. Yep. Off the top of my head, one of two thousand nine. Like I said, I'm I'm near Toronto. We try and block that stuff out. So. That's right, right, right. Didn't mean to, didn't mean to hurt your ears there. Right. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, this, this, these ideas, these things, you know, um, we spoke a little bit off air, my, you know, one of our good friends, the natural ball player, you know, he got on this and, and um, he's been doing a, a lot of the same stuff that we do and, and just watching that six, eight monster um, work through space and do stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, he was told things like I was told where, you know, he tore his shoulder and had labrum surgery and then came back and now he's, you know, gray ball 102 and throwing. And I broke my elbow in college and was told I'd never throw again. And I'm 34, been throwing 10, 11 years solid, you know, and I don't hurt anymore too. And so, yeah. you know, if we can bridge that gap to the feel part where we can actually show some of these positions that we know yeah. where the arm, you know, like I said, we talk about the arm needing the most amount of space to follow through. Mm-hmm. And the back of the shoulder shouldn't actually be what slows down your arm. Gravity should be. And yeah. so we, we just don't see these ideas a lot all over the place. And if we have something like this that can quantify this and we can, or at least show a kid, Hey, when you threw 95, this is what you did. This is how fast you moved. Yeah. This is where the ball accelerated from. This is where your hands stopped decelerating. You know, that's, that's just information that you just don't get. And so the fact yeah. that it could come from a phone is just blowing my mind combined yeah. with, pitch logic data combined with all this other stuff that that technology is going on it's just it's amazing how you could really start telling a story and, and make more improvements faster well and so that's I the name of the game right yeah. like the, making improvements faster is, is the name of the game where you're going to see the biggest kind of advances in in teams you know at the major league level but this could be at the high school level is when the coaches feed information to the analytics people the analytics feed information to the coaches and it's a circle and they all work together right the more that they all work together and the more that they all embrace each other's you know contribution and there's no coaches versus analytics team those are the ones that are really going to take off and really do well and you know you got to give them credit because i know the yankees are they're working a lot on that. And Dave Whiteside, uh, who's just probably one of the smartest people in baseball, you know, he's one of their directors of sports science there. And I know he meets regularly with the coaching staff and, you know, he's getting ideas off of them just as much as he's giving data to them, but it shouldn't be looked at as being adversarial. It should be looked as comp complimentary and you know, both, both parties are trying to make each other better. And, and they went think- and got Eric Cressy. 
which is another legend, right? So yeah, no, that's uh, they will be a force for years because I think they embrace both the idea that they can pay their players well, but they also can pay their 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 development folks well as well. Yeah, yeah it's, I agree. it's been a, lo- a long time coming. You know, I, it's um, I, I know I've been listening to so my my kind of background in how I like got to where I am is thinking of top. I, I went through top velocity and then they're they're trash talking driveline. So funny enough, I I'm like, oh, who's driveline? Wow, they sound really smart. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, why are you so dumb over here? Why are you doing these things? And, you know, and and there's value in both of them. But I think it's just funny that like. I don't know. I'm, I'm 31. I decided that I wasn't going to try to be in the real world about a year out of college. Right. And, and already I feel like I'm old in the world of player development because they just haven't taken it seriously forever. Right. I was around so many guys in the AL central when I was in Minnesota that were just like chilling. Like it's January. How are you chilling? (laughs) Like, are you in the show? You're not yeah. in the show. I'm like, I always used to say it. I'm like, I don't want to look like Yasiel Puig. That's all I knew then. Like, I'm like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to look like that guy because wh- I just, it never, it never resonated with me. And, and now you come to find out it's like, it's almost as if information was withheld from them because people were scared of saying the wrong thing, you know? And I think it was a reaction to how much people just got thrown garbage in the nineties, to be honest yep. with you. Like, yep. and, and so people were like, I don't want that. And now the coaches that were in that world were like, just let them play, just you know, balance yeah. and relax. And it's like, but then you have this generation of kids that are getting the internet and it's like, don't tell me to be balanced and relaxed. Like I know the internet and, and all of a sudden, <laughs> we're, you know, we're here and, and it's still, you know, it's, I, I've, I've told John this many times, you know, and, and getting into this Southern uh, California world has really kind of opened my eyes. It's like, there's a lot of really rational reasons why information is not more readily available to the average person, right? Because if you're in a competitive affiliated baseball, you don't want anybody to find out your strategies, yep. right? And, and there's, there's no thought of farming it at a younger age. And I think yep. it's really because they didn't understand how to do it. And, you know, that's where John alludes to, you know, Dominicans uh, are just seeing young 12 year olds throwing 90 or, you know, 14 year olds throwing 95. Um, you know, America just hasn't tried that. And anyway, I, I feel like we're, we're getting there. There's a lot of dudes going really freaking hard in affiliate baseball and <laughs> hopefully sure. we can figure out how to keep them healthy. And I feel like both the, the people like us are getting us closer. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, help us out with a little bit more of the schedule. I saw on the website that you guys are releasing soon or, or what's the news coming up with, with, uh, Pro player AI. Yeah. And, so, and, and by the way, I do not want to leave this conversation without talking a little bit of biomechanics stuff, just like weird geeky stuff. So don't let me. Sure. Forget. Yeah. No. So um, our, our kind of go to market strategy has always been around supporting our partners. And, uh, you know, that started out with including pitch AI in the track platform for driveline. So you can access our, our reports and generate PDF reports, you know, within, within driveline system, um, you know, and then if you have your data in that system, it can appear in your app if you've got the subscription to both. Um, our other partner is Kinetic Pro uh, with Casey Mulholland down in, in Tampa, Florida. And Casey's building out a player development platform as well as some kind of trackable band exercise work um, as well. So Casey is launching a, a really exciting platform for athlete education, for, um, for data sharing, for communication with your athletes and your coaches. Uh, and we're including Pitch AI uh, in there. So uh, we're announcing, um, you know, on December 30th, kind of our, our path forward, but we're expecting, you know, both Pitch AI and, and Casey and the Kinetic Pro app, that that should be out, uh, you know, mid to late January, um, but getting ready for ABCA and, uh, you know, have some exciting announcements around that too. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking pitching here, but, you know, the little bit of a tease is we might be, we might be supporting the dark side uh, in the near future as well on, on hitting. Oh no. Oh no. The dark side. Yeah. I was wondering about that too. I had imagined that this would be an application that you could, you know, universally use throughout the game, you know, and you know, I'd like to see the biomechanics on me uh, tripping and falling or 
you know, walking I, across the street or whatever I keep, it is. I keep pushing it because I want it to work for golf so that I can uh, keep taking my friend's money on the golf course. That's, uh, oh, that's dude, you guys, my personal cool. interest. Yeah. You guys would definitely kill it if you had them. Because like, golf is <laughs> golf is where I wish baseball was. We talk about this all the time. How like if you, you know, watching um, Tiger and his son play, it was just so nice to hear announcers like be positive about the I game know. and how things were going, you know. And then yep. you you run over to MLB Network and it's like negative this, negative that. This guy's. A, I'm like, dude, you guys just don't get it. Like, you can just yeah. be a nice human. Yeah, I didn't even think and, about this. Just like, like oh. They literally respond to people like Teacher Man on on Twitter. Like yeah. they have blatantly, yeah. they they are always talking about. Oh, this that's not launch angle, and it's like I just watched a thing with. Uh, uh, anyway, it, it's just it's funny. It's funny. They get tied up with it. Yeah. Well, Nick Faldo is pretty bad on the golf broadcast sometimes, like complaining about Bryson DeChambeau and that. So, no, the the old guard is going to keep crying until they stop crying, and then then they're gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you, it, especially with the technology on the ball with golf. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Pitch Logic and Rap Soto is just you get these numbers on these things, and we all of our kids throw with all the technology and everything, and they know. You know, you know, you got a 16 year old that knows that his fastball is at 1900 and his breaking ball is at 2300. And, you know, he, he goes, well, what is it supposed to be? And you can just pull up fan graphs and go, look, here's Trevor Bauer. Look at this. Yeah, yep, exactly. This is where you want to be. You want your fastball at 97 and you want it spinning at 2800. How do I do that? You grip it harder and you throw it faster. Okay, that's that's where you're gonna start. That's what we're gonna work on. That that's not like something that's just gonna happen today. That's, <laughs> that's all you happen. do. There's nothing else either. Don't look right, into exactly. anything else. That's the only thing right, you have right. to do. Just grip it harder. <laughs> throw it Don't peek behind there, there the curtain. Be extra, right. There may be some extra pelican grip, <laughs> other things that are going on to that. But you know, as a fellow pitcher, you know, as a fellow pitcher, you got to call it illegal if it is illegal. If it's not. <laughs> We got to we got to talk about it. You can't really go to Toronto, being a guy who played in Mexico, and I know how Toronto's air is compared to like Mexico City, and like you just there's no way. I, I distinctly remember going to Mexico City and warming up in a game and going to the bullpen and throwing twelve six ha- hammers and them just not moving and just going straight the whole way and being like, what is happening? <laughs> throwing a slider and it's just gyroing and I'm like, I have no idea. How do I pitch today? How does this work? Those ones go 500 the other direction too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially Mexico City, it's like 8,000 elevation. Yeah, yep. Uh, I got to tell you my Toronto story because John brought it back to it. So I went to a Twins game. Josh Donaldson was on the Blue Jays still, and I'm in left field. They were so obnoxious. I've never – like normally Twins games are like, you know, like sipping martinis, like hanging out, like all the, you know. And, and these dudes were – all up in everybody. It was it was it was actually a ton of fun to be around. Um, all the so, Jays fans. All the Jays fans. Uh, were yes, all yes, they were well, so ridiculous. Because right? you're Minnesota, right? So they're coming yes. down from Alberta and Manitoba. That's yeah. uh, that's your Letterkenny boys. That's that's yeah. who you're dealing with there. Those are a bunch of junior hockey players. <laughs> you're getting the best yeah. and the brightest when it comes to chirping there. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And Donaldson mashed one over our head. So it was, it was perfect. I was, I was yeah. probably around that same series where he got like tossed in like the first inning or something like that. Like I remember one of those, he, he got, he got tossed and didn't like a strikeout and he got tossed right away. And then he really let the ump have it. I remember the ump's wife was like Instagramming how much she hated Donaldson afterwards. That was all over the news here. <laughs> Jeez. Umpire's wife and umpire should not get any press. The things you don't know when you don't. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So oh. Things you don't know when you don't live in America, uh, Canada. Huh? Yeah, yeah. No dude, boy. No dude, dude, my, dude. My buddy, my buddy's from Wisconsin, and he was. We watched Trailer Park Boys together, and he was always like, "Don't fuck with like a knuck." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what, 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 what is that? What, what is that? Was that?" What, anyway, anyway, I gotta stop. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, should I go geeky mechanics for a second? Go. Geek, it up. Geek it up. I love learning from you too. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know um, before you're in the app, like how are you seeing movement and like how are just whatever, whatever that is to you? I don't know. So like I'm, I'm heavily influenced by what David Weck is doing right now. That stuff is blowing my mind. 
the Gota concepts have been very helpful. Um, I'm training with a guy named Chris Daly at S10 Fitness in San Diego, and he's educated in Z Health. Um, During this podcast, I've done some of his exercises as we're sitting here and gotten some ridiculous relief. Um, And so just like all of these things, I have learned so much um, as a coach about my own body and and the other uh, and, and teaching it. Right. So I'm curious. How do you see it? Who are some of your influences? And um, if you had to teach it, what kind of, uh, you know, who would influence how you would teach it, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, you know, maybe the person who's most influential in like my understanding of like how you move in terms of pitching would be like Steve Osterer, who's now with the Cleveland Indians. But he was the former director of the baseball development group up here in uh, in Canada, uh, just in in Toronto. Actually, um, he was more on the east side. I'm I'm kind of west side of the city. But you know the the general principles that baseball development group has are move move well. You know, be strong and move well, and then the rest kind of takes care of itself. But so like you've you're always saying, been thinking baseball, though. You've always been like baseball, baseball, baseball. I I actually so you know. I, I got accepted um, when I was coming out of high school. Uh, I got accepted into two programs, performance saxophone and kinesiology. Um, and I chose kinesiology. And uh, at that time, I had been, uh, you know, a, an athletic therapist um, for my high school football team for, for five years. Uh, and I worked a lot with the University of Windsor football team, you know, throughout my undergrad, even, in, you know, started my master's. And I always thought I was going to get involved in athletic therapy and then kind of took a hard right turn into ergonomics um, around that time. Uh, And then this all kind of brought everything back together. Um, And, you know, from a biomechanics perspective, you know, my PhD supervisor was was Jim Potvin. And the one thing Jim always, you know, stressed on everybody is just you cannot look at the body as one system. Like you just absolutely cannot. You've got to take into consideration the the motor control, the biomechanics, the physiology, the psychology, and just a holistic approach to, you know, kinesiology and understanding how you move. Because, you know, guys don't sleep well, or they're super stressed out about something, you know, you, you see in like a lot of NCAA statistics, I, I can't remember who published this, but it was a few years ago, like, there's more injuries in training during like exam time, right? Because just there's um, that added stress component. And you see a lot of that. My senior year, I stayed up two nights finishing my senior thesis and I pitched in our, like I pitched in our first game. I was, I, after that, I couldn't like move my arm forever. If they, if we would have continued to win, I have no idea how I would have thrown. (laughs) But that's, that's likely the most influential thing. Like, you know, whether it was Jim or Steve or, you know, um, you know, driveline talks about this. Casey does a great job talking about this. Like, you need to consider everything. And a lot of those platforms you're talking about there too, right? Like when you start getting into the psychology of movement, you're starting to unlock certain things that that really help give you understanding as to why people might move in a certain way. Um, I'd say like the one thing that's influenced me and my understanding of biomechanics more than anything is just understanding how different people are. Like one person to another, there is no such thing as perfect global mechanics, period. There never will be like underneath your skin, people's muscles connect at different angles into the bone. There's different bone geometries. There's just so many different things happening and there's so many different constraints, different people have to how they move. There might be a perfect mechanics for you, but that's why I think it's so important to understand it's how people move and how they change their movement. And that's really, I think the biggest message that I've heard. Yeah. I've been really on the, trying to keep it down to like energy and force. Like you're trying to make things go that way and your body has to make that happen. And then my favorite thing that I've said is like so many people I've been doing, I'm our hitting development guy. If, if most of our guys at their stride, they've made a move. Okay. And then they make another move to swing. And it's like, you have all of this energy that you should have just created. And you did because you are massive. Right. And you move forward, whether you accelerated well or not, like you moved. Right. So you are going to be, be able to create a lot of energy right there. And you just have to know how to redirect it. That's yeah. it. 
Yep. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm really trying to, even though I do understand the body pretty well, and I can say all of the, the geeky terms, that's been very helpful for me to have better conversations with people. But ultimately, from a coaching standpoint, I want to get away from all of that and be like, make energy go that way. <laughs> yeah. Know, and see yeah. things. Use your eyeballs. Balance, yeah, absolutely. Simple stuff. Well, I, I think that one of the most important things you can possibly learn as a coach is to not go into any sort of endeavor where you are um, confined to one way of thinking. Be open to changing your mind. Be open to the idea that data may tell you a different story and that whatever you did for this player may not be the same thing that works for the next player, right? And and consider the entire person um, as, you're, as you're coaching, right? And if and, and then, you know, like I said, one of the more important things you can possibly do in player development is write stuff down, you know, measure things, measure what you can measure, write it down and track it over time. That's, that's just wildly influential. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Love it. It's, it's an amazing uh, tool that I cannot wait to get our hands on sometime late january right That's where, uh... we, we, we can probably make some exceptions and oh, <laughs> if you can right. if you can if you can tolerate a couple bumps along the way you know in the beta process we we can make something happen there <laughs> oh dude i would love we would love to get in and break down that beta right in there and you got it man. what we can from i just oh. i just got prototypes of new pulsers from david weck yesterday i ran into him at the gym <laughs> not not the gym at the at the doctor at the doctor, at the doctor. <laughs> With your mask, right? Yeah. Well, um, so where where do you see this this going? You know, it, it you know it takes off, it goes out. It's everywhere. Obviously, it's going to be on social media where you know where we saw it from there. Um, you know, is the goal to the masses where you know the eight year old can can get some biomechanics feedback from dad in the backyard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's, I think where the most important part of this is, is just breaking down those barriers of how do I get this data easier? Um, and then I think the most challenging and exciting part of this to me is like, you know, as somebody who comes from the academic world, you know, trying to teach everybody biomechanics is just like such an exciting thing to do. And as we get more data, I think that becomes easier because we understand how people move better um, through this app. And yeah, I, I see, um, I see this being a really exciting thing for us over time and, you know, getting people at all levels, not just the highest level, you know, getting the, your rec ball players, getting your, your softball players, you know, we're working hard on the softball side of things. Um, you know, just this becomes a part of your training, you know, the same way as a radar gun is a part of your training, you know, get a measure of your mechanics every time you go out and throw or swing. And I, I see that's, that's, that'd be the most exciting way this could go. Yeah, I'd be I'd be really interested to see because uh, my next goal of what I'm trying to do is I'm going to throw 200 pitches in one of our live at bat. I'm like <laughs> the best sparring partner for all these guys here, where I can just go and go and go. Yeah, uh, and so, science minded me like we did that systematic review on fatigue and looked at how things changed as you get fatigued. Try and record every um, you know three of every 10 pitches you throw, and I would love to see how those numbers change over time. Let's let's see if. Uh, you manifest fatigue in a very traditional sense. I threw 164 two or three weeks ago, and I didn't drop below 88 until like 125 or something like that. Um, and then, do you just use uh, like a um, like a standard full body cast for the next day, or did you have to get a custom one made? Dude, I'm I'm telling you, I, there's some stuff that we do that I'm telling you right now. Dude, Johnny all... spin rate's the real freaking deal, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ferber for giving me the Johnny spin rate. No, I really think it's this follow this follow through stuff, and we'll have to talk about this a little bit further off air on some stuff. And there's some things that I strongly believe in that have really changed the way a lot of our guys train and throw, and how. And literally in the past 10, 10, 11 years since I broke my elbow, I have not stopped throwing, despite what everybody says. Like, I don't, I don't do a deload. I've been throwing once a week as hard as I can. Yeah. You know, it, it's been, we did an experiment in January. I stopped going to the gym and working out in January. And then COVID happened, and then we got shut down. And then now I just haven't worked out in a year, and I haven't lost velocity. I haven't lost velo. My strength numbers have obviously gone down tremendously, but I'm, I'm just as in good shape. I'm just as mobile. 
Like, like I said, yeah. and even the test last week was I threw 105 pitches on Wednesday, came back and threw 80 on Friday, and got up to 89. And normally topped out at the the Wednesday I topped out at 91 a couple times and then touched 90 four, four or five times. And I'm but, not, but, I'm not but, you know what I mean? But let me, but let me also like, okay, so guys as, as nuts as I've met him, right? So he's, he's a professional, right? And then during the week, right, he's still throwing, he's showing it, right? So there might not be anything more dynamic or athletic than throwing a baseball. I, I think most people would agree with that. Shoulder speeds are faster than any other sport, right? And so like the fact that that's his conditioning Right. I think what gets him fired up is people insinuating that throwing is bad. Not yeah. if you made it what you are, right? The, yeah. the problem is, is that it's, it, does, it does test you at your most extremes, right? So you have to know what your red line is at all times and be able yeah. to live there. And, and most people just don't uh, – uh, I don't even know. I think what gets John fired up is that not a lot of people are uh, allowed to aspire to be something like that, right? So if an eighth grader had worked his whole, like, literally from the time he was like six until he's in eighth grade, he's like, I want to throw as much as I possibly can. And he's 125. People would terrorize him on the internet right now yep. without any context. Yep. Well, <laughs> nobody loves context anywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, on our side, Mike, it, it cracks me up too because, like, I'll just okay, well, come throw, come see it, you know. Yeah. And, and we film everything and put it on YouTube. You can see all the pitches that we do, you know, from over the shoulder and watch everything. And it's like it's not like we're hiding anything, you know. No, I, I I think that we have some we have some drills and some ideas and some things like I was saying before about the follow through and then the loading patterns and how we go into it. We're you know, there's, there's these stories, like you said, these anecdotal stories that are earlier where you got like Josh Beckett and all these guys that like just didn't get hurt. They played like 10, 12 years and they just didn't get hurt. It's like, well, what's that? How come yeah. we're not looking at this guy and what he's yeah. doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, well, I mean, I, I think we're, I'd be more confident that there's no top end limit to how much you can throw than there right. is a safe bottom limit. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> oh, no, it does. It does. Cause I mean, there's, there's stories of, you know, um, I, I, I pulled, when I played Mexico, we had a Japanese, uh, uh, pitcher was on our team and it was this 19 year old lefty that was like their phenom. And he wasn't, he wasn't anything crazy except for like, he played a different game and threw as much as I did. That was the thing that I did notice is like, he actually enjoyed long tossing with me because we would be out there for like an hour and a half <laughs> and just throw all the time. And then he'd come back in and I think he'd be done. He's like, do you want to throw pitches? And I'm like, yeah, love to. <laughs> So I play with them, and you know, in Japan they play a different game. They play more of this like north and south game, like with the ball, where it's a lot of like spin rates up and curveballs and splits and changeups like this. And in in America and and Latin America, they play a lot of side to side and north to south. And so you know, on that on the movement of the ball. And I just remember this dude. We got uh, we had a light delay where, of course, you know, we're in the stadium in Mexico, and two of the stadium lights go out, and so the umpire's like, oh, we can't. We got to get the, you know, it's like a four o'clock game. We're going into dusk. And so this dude just walks back into the pen on this 35 minute delay and just starts throwing. <laughs> just keep going. And I remember I counted it. It was something like 50 pitches. And he obviously wasn't in a max effort. He was taking a lot more time in between pitches. But then he proceeded to go out and throw eight innings. And I was like, this dude was just hot for like five hours. Yeah. And just went. And then in the, you know, in the innings in between, He's throwing pile balls against this fence with one out just to warm his arm up again. And that was like the first time I'd ever seen it. And I was like, this 19-year-old's doing all this stuff. He obviously doesn't hurt. He's doing fine. You know, there has to be something to this, like, keeping your arm moving thing or whatever that concept was at the time. And I remember him asking me because I had thrown five days in a row down there because I, I was a non-affiliated indie guy. And they loved me because, like, they could just push the button and I would go throw. And so I was, I was the close. I, I didn't care. Like I, I just knew that in order for me to get a real shot, try to move on, I needed to win a category that mattered. I need to have the most saves or have the most strikeouts or most appearances. One of those things as a reliever. And then like I ended up being a starter and then came back as a reliever. It was like a crazy season. We made it all the way to the finals, you know, and I'm sitting behind Sergio Romo and Oliver Perez and they're calling me first out of the pen. And I'm like, you're crazy. You know, and so, you know, it's just a, uh, uh, Looking back on it, you know, it, it 
looking at my mechanics and, and we even find that as a bad word that we don't even like the word. We like motion just because it sounds better because mechanics yeah. seem, seem like you're like stopping and what's robotic. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the biggest things that I can go back and even look at me in Mexico and the videos that I have for me playing. It's like the, what my arm and my hand does after, after release and how it, how it does. And then looking at these Dominican and Venezuela guys and what they do and what they're actually being taught. It's like, this is there's something there so like it, you Absolutely. know i'm excited about with with your app and like being able to like maybe find some of the side-by-side -side video and and plug it into these things with some of these guys that i know that i've seen where it's like yeah. there, there has to be something here that nobody's been able to quantify before yeah well no that's that that's exactly what i'm hoping for over time with this app right you know let's go out there and test these ideas and you know measure things and you know, we're, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about how the body moves and, and how to keep pitchers healthy. Couldn't agree more. Well, Mike, um, we have been crushing for about an hour or so. I don't want to eat up too much more of your time, but um, why don't you uh, just let everybody know, you know, just some more details, you know, where, where can we find this? You know, where, where is it available? You know, and like I said, there's a tentative release date we talked about before, but just, you know, sum it all up for us real quick. Yeah, no, you can follow us on, you know, all the social media platforms at ProPlay AI. And I'm on there at Dr. Mike Son, um, you know, to, to find out the latest and, and greatest about how things are going. Um, like I mentioned, uh, we'll be at ABCA. We'll have a virtual booth there. Um, we'll be doing a pre-launch event. I don't know if this is out there um, yet, but we're doing a pre-launch event with Driveline, uh, Prep Baseball Report, Kinetic Pro, um, and uh, and with Nate Pearson uh, on January 6th, uh, where we're going to be talking through some of this this app work and, and and what's next. So really excited about what's to come and, you know, keep talking to all these, uh, all these awesome people like you guys and, you know, getting better and better ideas every time we talk to somebody new. Oh man, we'd we'd love to help out any way we can. This seems this seems rather important in the pitching <laughs> space. I'll tell you that for sure. We'll, we'll be in touch. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, guys, we'll go ahead and check them out. Uh, follow them on social media. January sixth, I got it on my calendar. Um, follow them, you know, everywhere you can. And and you know, this is definitely something important. If you're if you're serious about pitching, or you're not serious about pitching, and you want to become serious, this is definitely something that can at least start the brain around the, the rabbit hole to which Cass and I are constantly, you know, we're yin and yang. That's what I always like about, you know, <laughs> his and my partnership is where he brings a different side of the things and, and as do I. And so it really helps where we can battle ideas off of each other. So awesome. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and, and, and letting us, you know, letting us just divulge into this app. I can't wait to, uh, to get my fingers on it. Awesome. Good to meet you, Mike. Thanks again, man. Nice to meet you guys. All we'll right. talk soon. All right, See hang you. out off there for me one second.